You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Soap here. Thanks for joining us. It's the start of our non-LA guest explosion. There'll be a lot of folks coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're not based in LA. We're branching out. It's exciting. Starting with today's guest, Jamie Alexis Fowler, an OG NLC person, 2009 from Boston. She's doing a lot of really interesting stuff. Can't wait to have her on. Let's get to it. All right, Jamie, where exactly in the world are you today? I am based in San Francisco. Oh, nice. And what, do you actually live in San Francisco proper or somewhere else in the Bay? How do you answer that question? I do. I live in the heart of San Francisco in Haight-Ashbury. Got it. And then when you meet people who are from LA, is there is there animosity? Do you yell at them? Like, What's the state of tension between the two places for you? Uh, well, you know, being married to someone who's originally from the LA area, there's a lot of love. Um, but I think of it similarly to being from Boston. There's a little tension between Boston and New York. There's a little tension between LA and San Francisco. So I embrace it. I have a lot of love for LA. Got it. And then, yeah, it's interesting to meet someone who did NLC so early in the history of NLC. How did you even hear about it in 2009? Oh, great question. So I received an email that said I had been nominated to be a fellow by an incredible friend of mine, uh, Megan Silverberg. And Megan um, had gotten involved in the organization in Boston way back in the day and was um, really helpful in getting it off the ground. And she fortunately nominated me. And were there 20 people in the class or was it smaller then? You know, it's been a few years <laughs> and I'm not so sure I totally remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that was 2010. I guess we still had 20 people. But yeah, I'm just trying to remember. Like, So did you even have the life entrepreneurship curriculum? Was that in place at that point in time? No, I actually went through it um, mm-hmm. with a, another class, I want to say, in the year or two following. Yeah, interesting stuff. All right, so you've made it through. You survived 2009 Boston NLC stuff, and you're still, still with us. Uh, when people ask you what you do for a living now, how do you answer that question? I am the founder and executive director of a new nonprofit called Empower Work. And then uh, I've, I've heard a little bit of the background because you, you spoke at NLC Retreat this summer about what it is. But yeah, I'm sure you've given the elevator pitch a thousand times. But for us, like, what's the, uh, the pitch for what your nonprofit is trying to do? We provide immediate anonymous support for people facing tough work challenges. So anyone who is grappling with a challenging work situation, an ethical question, um, bad behavior, any sort of tricky situation and you feel stuck against a wall, can text or initiate a web chat and talk with a trained peer counselor. And then is it uh, like support then that would come in almost like an HR way or more a peer-to-peer way? How would you describe the feedback that comes back from your nonprofit? So our approach really blends executive coaching um, with career counseling and a peer counseling model with an HR base. So we do have really robust training. Um, It's just over 10 hours that covers a range of issues. Um, But what we try to do is help coach someone from feeling like they're up against a wall to having more possibilities. Um, So we don't always cover all the elements of HR. Um, We're a third-party truly independent um, support mechanism to really help someone think through what their next pathways might be depending on their current situation. And was this idea born out of a lot of the challenges that we're seeing in workplaces happening now with the Me Too movement? Or was it something you've been thinking about for a long time and just happened to coincide with what's happening now? How would you describe the timeline? 
I would say, you know, now it's more important than ever um, for people to have more mechanisms and, and tools and resources to support them at work. It's something that's long been important to me throughout my career as a manager, um, being part of executive leadership at a variety of different organizations. I've always been keenly attuned to how people really thrive in workplaces and the importance that workplaces um, are, the importance of workplaces in terms of people's economic opportunity, um, career possibilities, and really just like how you're engaging with life generally. The workplace is such a central component of who we are as Americans. Um, that has been something long of interest for me. You know, obviously there's been a lot more um, coverage and attention paid, particularly around sexual harassment and discrimination in the past year. Um, but this idea sort of really started mulling around um, prior to some of these major headlines. And I think we're just well positioned in terms of um, the larger attention that it's getting. But I would say that's long overdue. Uh, this behavior, these situations have been going on for, for much longer and then in your experience, what was your own internal monologue, uh, maybe in terms of doubts about actually founding something, starting a nonprofit? What was the hesitations about maybe doing that? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, my biggest question was, why isn't someone already doing this? And I spent, <laughs> you know, I spent months trying to figure out, you know, um, what other resources were there? Why weren't there more resources? Who else could I convince um, to do something like this? And for me, and you know, part of the reason why we're structured as a nonprofit is that there's a tension. Um, you know, HR and resources provided by companies are inherently a tool um, to benefit the company, and they may ostensibly um, be there to support employees. But um, there is this really tricky tension, and so part of the reason we're structured as a nonprofit is to be a third-party, independent support that doesn't have any skin in the game with the company. We're not selling to the company. Um, we really want to have the focus be on the best outcome for the individual and the best outcome for the employee. Um, so that situates us a little bit differently. Have there been you know, questions and challenges along the way and times when I've questioned? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's been the really like a central force for the past seven or eight months. But I feel really fortunate that we've had an incredible group of people um, supporting me and thinking through our mission and how do we execute against our mission in a variety of ways um, that have really gotten us to where we are today. And are there any funders that have surprised you with them wanting to be supportive and come in with certain amounts of money? Uh, well, we had a very surprising anonymous donation from uh, an extraordinarily generous donor. Um, from It's called the Pineapple Fund. And nobody knows who this individual is. Um, but in December they announced that they were going to be donating about 80, I think 86 million in Bitcoin to a variety of <laughs> nonprofit organizations. And wow. we were fortunately one of the ones that they selected. So that was an unexpected and, and truly inspiring um, gift. And I would say not only in terms of the amount, um, but it was the really most thoughtful and considerate interaction I've had with, with a funder and the fastest. So it was uh, really helpful for us getting things off the ground. So, okay. So then once this starts happening, kind of walk me through the first, do you call them clients or do you call them affiliates? Like how do you describe even in your own language, who's participating and, and how those connections are made and how your name even gets out there? Sure. So we have um, two particular groups that we're interested in serving. Um, one are are those that we refer to as texters or users who reach out to us. Um, and those are the people who are grappling with something challenging. Um, and we generally refer to them as users or texters. Um, although we can, we have web chat as well. Um, and then we have our volunteers and our volunteers are all 
um, professional working professionals in a variety of different sectors across the United States. And it's really important for us that not only do you know users and texters feel like they're getting information and resources um, and support that they need in the conversation, uh, but that our volunteers are as well. Um, and so we provide really robust training and then we try to provide opportunities for investment for them to use those skills in the workplace. Um, and we hear really positive results. <laughs> One of our volunteers told me recently, now when I run into tough things at work, I think about putting my Empower Work hat on and how am I going to approach this? And that's that's exactly what we want to see. We want to see volunteers able to uh, really leverage those skills for users and texters and at the same time um, take those into their workplaces as well. And are there any other technological platforms to use besides texting or group chat you'd be interested in or you feel like what you've honed in on now makes the most sense and will make the most sense for years to come? That's a great question. We are laser focused on how do we best meet people where they need to have this conversation? And so in our research last year, um, what people expressed was they wanted something immediate, they wanted something anonymous, and they wanted something where they weren't going to be overheard in their workplace because many people Mm -hmm. who reach out to us are at work. And so right now we decided to start with text and web chat to see what works best for folks. Um, I imagine that we may move into other platforms going forward, um, whether that's you know, Messenger or WhatsApp or um, a variety of other digital channels that um, could signal and support a conversation. Um, the challenge with some of those is that you get into um, third-party platform situations mm-hmm. where um, we'd want to make sure that the conversations can stay as anonymous um, and supportive as they need to be. Nice. Uh, when we come back, I'll ask Jamie about uh, an article that she was recently quoted in on TheRinger.com. Thanks for listening to The Zag. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right. I'm glad you flagged that that Ringer story for me because, A, I love the Ringer and all the podcasts and the content on there. But give me a, a, a kind of brief description of what the overall story uh, narrative was for that piece that you were quoted in last week. Sure. So there was this great piece, um, sort of an investigation into what's changed since the Susan Fowler memo about a year ago. And I should I should say that despite the fact that we have the same last name, we are not really <laughs> um, which several people have asked me about uh, since the piece came out. Um and I think it's a great, I mean, it's a great question. Um, Susan Fowler really revealed um, a lot of information and, and, and a story that many women have experienced and not just women, other people as well, um, and really shifted some of the conversation that's happening um, in the technology sector in particular, although it's behavior that happens in a variety of different sectors. And Alyssa, the reporter, kind of explored in, in some amazing interviews with folks kind of looking at, like, what's really shifted? Have there been policies or um, mm-hmm. approaches that have changed? Um, and I think there has been overall uh, a real reckoning that's been going on over the past year. Um, but we're not – we haven't solved for it yet. Um, and part of, I think, what we provide is a space um, for folks um, to really grapple with information that they're now coming across, whether that's they're looking at a situation in their workplace in a different way in light of some of these more um, uh, visible scenarios that have been depicted in, in media, um, or they have a lot of questions. Um, and so we, you know, I think are well-situated to support people who are now seeing this conversation unfold. And hopefully, you know, as we grow, our data can contribute to providing insight and signals to things that could be more supportive or policies that could change, um, not just in tech, but in, an, in a larger sector as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up data because that was an interesting part of the story that folks are trying to put together legit hard numbers because that seems to be the most convincing 
uh, a piece to folks who crunch numbers all day or, or more maybe uh, Excel spreadsheet happy than they are about emotional happiness, that if you actually see the numbers of, of incidents that people are feeling unsafe or undervalued or harassed, that that would be the thing that would, would turn the tide. So I'm glad you brought that up. Let me ask you, so when you think of the, the tech industry in general, uh, more often than not, I think it is relatively full of progressive people. So what should progressives make of the tech industry at, at this point in time? Yeah, I think, you know, that one of the trickier pieces, and I think this, this is true in any space where you're creating something new, is that you can be really well-intentioned and it doesn't mean that you're not um, missing important components. And so do I think folks in tech are incredibly well-intentioned? You know, yes, I think probably overwhelmingly so. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not, unintentionally building platforms that um, have really huge missing components. Um, and I think we've seen this in a, in a variety of ways. There's certainly a correlation in um, some of the components around ethical considerations that tie into sexual harassment or discrimination that also tie into product decisions. Um, and so I think diversifying and creating a different type of environment um, is really, really critical. And I would say, you know, I think it's hard to make blatant statements about a whole industry. Um, I, I don't know how people identify in tech, but yeah, progressive is, is its own challenging word. And then if you had to think about, say, 12 months from now, what to you personally would signify, okay, positive change has happened. Things are legitimately different for the better in the tech industry now about how people feel about going to work, how people are treated at work. Are there any tangible metrics you would say, see that <clears throat> really shows things are improving for the better. Hmm. I mean, I guess looking at it from the empower work perspective, maybe we would see a decrease in users from the tech industry. Um, hmm. I think it's, it's hard to say because we don't have as many metrics as I think we need. Um, there have been a couple of interesting studies. Um, there was one referenced in, in the ringer piece around um, sort of how, how people are experiencing that behavior. And so I think going back and doing some ongoing um, repeat studies around are people leaving in the same rates? Um, are people experiencing that behavior in the same ways would be really important. And I would say, you know, juxtaposing that against some of the data that we're seeing on the empower work side around issues that people are bringing to us and how are those shifting over time would be interesting for me to kind of consider, you know, a year or two years out from now. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, thanks for hopping on. Give us one last plug for how we can engage with your, your excellent service here. Sure. So anyone who's facing something tough is um, welcome at any time, 8.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific to text us. Uh, the number is 510. Actually, now I'm like, I'm like oh, I should make sure I say this correctly. Put you on the spot. <laughs> uh, you can visit the website, which is empowerwork.org, or you can text us, which is 510-674-1414. And if you know someone who's facing something tough, um, please share our information. We want to make sure that we're out there and available for anybody who needs us. All right. Appreciate it. And for anyone who needs more Zag episodes, you can find them in all the places you would expect. Course, download, and subscribe in the iTunes store. They're up on SoundCloud. We're up over 30-plus episodes, so lots to choose from, lots to hear from great progressives in L.A. and now all over the country. Stay tuned. Later this week, we'll have some more episodes up. Thanks for listening to The Zag. We'll talk to you soon.